and welcome to this podcast. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We're really excited to bring to you season three of the Horton Hangout podcast. I hope you've missed us because we've certainly missed not doing the podcast for a couple of months, haven't we, Mike? Definitely. I can't believe we're into season three when we were planning um, and we finished two seasons and now we're starting another. A fantastic, fantastic. Fantastic. And we're going to continue this season with some bonus episodes as well with guest interviews. We've got some fabulous people lined up uh, and those bonus interviews will come out over uh, the next few months you'll just get your alerts if you've subscribed so that's really good and uh, yeah it's June my favorite month of the year I have to say and that's purely because it's always a good weather month don't you think it is always a good weather month and it's my all it's my birthday month so it's your birthday it's my husband's birthday and yeah, I just really like June. It's uh, it's really good. I also usually go away in June, but I flipped things around this year. I'm going away in July instead for my birthday. Um, but yeah, usually go away in June. So um, be interesting. Went away in May instead, spreading it out, work-life balance and all that. I know, and I've just come back from a, a major theatre break. So uh, it's, it's nice to be back into the throes of dentistry. Yes, so for our listeners, uh, in case you uh, don't follow uh, Michael or I online, Michael has just been in two productions. He's absolutely crazy, but he loves it. But yeah, two productions pretty much back to back, haven't they? Yes, I've done Spamalot and Jesus Christ Superstar in different theatres with different companies, which was absolutely fantastic. And Michael has been rehearsing non-stop for about six months for those, haven't you? Yes, it's been a bit crazy. It has <laughs> been a bit crazy. But life has calmed down now. Well, I say that, we're moving house this month. Um, but yes, uh, there's, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, there we go. See, it's all good, isn't it? It's, it's all, good. all good. Yeah. So thank you for sending your questions in. We have questions to answer today on wedding fairs. Uh, new staff members upsetting the apple cart mm. and CPD paying for travel we're going to discuss as well. So we'll start with the wedding fairs. Oh my gosh, wedding fairs. I mean, I've done them all. I don't know about you, Mike, but we've done them all. I mean, we did the small ones, the local hotel ones. We did the NEC. We did Earl's Courts, you know, these huge wedding events and I'll be really honest I am not a fan have you done any Mike? Yes I have actually and uh, we've I think like you I think we've uh, we're blessed with some beautiful location I mean it's great for history isn't it I mean some of the wedding <laughs> fairs are set in these beautiful places um, and my practice is in Sutton Coalfield and we've got some beautiful beautiful houses to go to um, but yes they are they are a very, um, I don't know what to say really, <laughs> a very, very different day, aren't they? They're very non-dental days. And I think um, the, the wedding sort of person is very different as well. So you have to be really, really clear, don't you, about what you're doing. And I think when I first started doing wedding affairs, I tried to take, you know, bags of everything. And then I quickly realised that actually that was a non-starter. Yeah. I mean, like I say, we, we've done them all, the small ones, the local ones, the, the huge ones in exhibition centres. And, you know, I can absolutely promise you there was, 
you know no return on investment from those large uh, wedding mm -hmm. fairs yeah i agree with that you have to think about the team as well when these wedding fairs are because these exhibitions that are you know they're all weekend so are you asking the team to work all week all weekend and then all the following week as well because that's a long time that's a lot of energy that you're requiring from people uh, you need to have the right people doing the wedding fairs as well they've got to be really you know big personalities they've got to be very proactive they've got to be happy to talk to anyone to try and yes. grab anyone walking past so some practices just don't have the right team and i don't mean that disrespectfully um, but it's absolutely draining it's really hard work now over the years obviously we did a lot definitely got no return on investment but through practices that we've been working with i know of only one practice who did a wedding fair it was local it was small and i mean local it was within probably a 10 15 minute drive of their practice and they did get so i remember speaking to them on the monday like wow this is amazing they did get free new patients who booked and paid for an assessment um on that monday which is which is fabulous but that is very unique and very rare because they're they're tough work aren't they mike they are tough work and actually I've had a similar experience to that that client actually that we picked a couple of uh, hotels very near to us one of them I think was called Newhall uh, yes it was Newhall Hotel and actually we did have some success as well um, but I think it's it's definitely about location you can't go too far away can you and the wedding fairs that we chose were definitely ones where it was only for a day it wasn't three days yeah and um I actually personally went and did most of them myself if I'm honest um and because I wanted to see you know uh, how they really were going and I knew I could put treatment coordination appointments um in it, it's fascinating, isn't it, what lures people into just knowing about you. And some of it is just about networking, isn't it? And I met a few patients, actually, that would, were at these wedding fairs with their own businesses. And it's, some of it's just reaffirming some connections, maybe. But is it going to be a major blockbuster for your practice? Definitely not definitely not right. however um other of this i mean the things that I, I think about now which weren't in our day so much were they really is social media yeah and we're always looking for social media content and ways of doing things differently and when i was in the wedding fairs and it probably was about five six years ago I mean, social media was there, but it was definitely, you know, there wasn't, was no Instagram, for example. I actually think now, at the wedding fair, Instagram would work particularly well, you know, and actually, maybe it's about using it as a bit of a filter, um, you know, to actually pop that awareness out because you're doing something that gives you content. And I think that's one of the things that practices struggle with, isn't it? So yeah. maybe picking out a few places that are very local that allow you to sort of uh, do some social media alongside the wedding event, maybe, maybe that will, uh, you know, gain you some more patience. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But you've got to be very strategic, I think, about you know what you're 
what you're doing. I definitely think it's very key that there's only a few things that really that I have felt that work at wedding fairs. And interestingly, uh, the top one that we sold at wedding fairs was facial aesthetics. Mm. And the reason for that is, is you can, you know, I had the opportunity to talk about uh, Martine, who was an amazing dentist that I worked alongside. And at the wedding fair, I had her picture, you know, uh, up on a, a pop-up banner and people would come up to me and go, oh, is this, you know, and I'd be able to say, yeah, this is Martine and these are the treatments that she does and this is the experience that she has and I had before and after pictures of her and I actually had my own face that I've had um, Botox for many years um, and that worked particularly well for me um, with that. Then we move into whitening as, yeah. as number two and Number three, and I'm a little bit iffy about it, but um, some practices I do know get on quite well with orthodontics. I never have, but that's, you know, some people have got on very well with orthodontics. What, what, what did you have successfully? Well, our uh, brand message was uh, smile makeovers and implant dentistry. And yes. that just was not, people are not going to spend 10 grand on their teeth when they're at a wedding fair. I think when you're at a wedding fair, you either you've just got engaged so you want to go to all the wedding fairs you're excited you're hyperactive um or you're at the, nearing the end of the process so your wedding's coming up and you're just after a couple of little things that will just put the icing on the cake perhaps so i yeah. think first and foremost is what, what stage are people at when they're going and when you're talking about weddings we're talking about a huge expense anyway are people then going to spend 10 grand on their teeth absolutely not so what we used to do um we used to run a competition for tooth whitening uh it was zoom uh in practice tooth whitening system that we used to offer with of course the uh the home kit uh, was included in that as well and we did have you know genuine winners we would pull i would pull someone out the hat uh on the monday and we'd pull them and you know we'd get them into the practice and they would get their prize um but was whitening what we were about as a practice actually it wasn't so it was always a bit baffling to me to be honest with you about why this was all going on and you know i'm sure we've got the odd patient further down the line i think one of the reasons they decided to do the larger events at the nec and remember we're in hertfordshire and essex so birmingham's far uh as is earl's court um we did have patients that came from all over the country europe you know patients would fly in so location wise didn't matter per se because people came from all over anyway to the practice but yeah we'd run the whitening competitions and you know they'd work quite well and they'd get people interested they'd enable us to be able to talk to people uh, which was always good but was there a return on investment no never yeah, and, I, and interestingly, what I would say, and this is something for people to think about, we had a lot more success in our local shopping centre. Yeah. We pitched up for five days. We used to do it a couple of uh, uh, times a year. And it was it was a brand awareness campaign. It was about, and we did, you know, we took different elements, you know, with us throughout the whole of the day. But what was interesting is you saw all the workers on the same 
You know, every day you'd see the same people walking around at their lunch times and this, that and the other. And obviously different people came into the, you know, into the town at different times. And we used to do Monday to Saturday uh, when, we, when we operated this. And we used to take it in turns. But what I thought was very interesting is people would say, oh, I didn't know there was a dental practice there. Oh, I didn't know. And, and that is really powerful brand awareness, isn't it? You know, that actually, you know, to be in your local town centre, um, you know, is, is really important because yeah. people do need to know that if they need a dental practice, that you are there. And maybe when they see other things, they'll go, oh, do you know what? Do you remember that practice that we saw in, in you know, in, in, in Sutton Coalfield? And that did work for us very well, surprisingly. Yeah. Because that surprised me because actually sitting in a town, you know, in a shopping centre for nine hours is not exactly uh, <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> you know what I mean? You see a bit of a bit of every every life there, don't you? <laughs> you do, but you've got to make sure that you're on brand, aren't you? That oh, you're yeah. you're being professional and friendly and all of the things. So actually, you can't be looking like you're gossiping. Oh, about no. Either you yeah. can't look like you're having a chat on the stand because nobody will talk to you. So you've got to be really careful how you manage it, and you don't want to be on your own all day either because that's just boring. No. No, um, no. You know, and actually, from a you know safety point of view, you need to go to the you know to the restroom or have a little break or a little walk round or whatever. Um, and you know where our plan was, it was outside, and, and sometimes it was very cold. Um, <laughs> You know, so, you know, you did need a little walk round, you know what I mean, to yeah, get the blood pumping and all those kind of things. Um, however, um, they, you know, they do work. But I think, you know, you say something, you know, on the marketing quarters as well, and you know, what we want to get out of it. And I think that word brand awareness keeps coming out, doesn't it? Maybe you want to explain that so people, you know, resonate with it correctly. Yeah, so what uh, we always discuss, and uh, it's a key part of the Marketing Day of the Management course, is brand awareness. And what is brand awareness? And, you know, we keep it really simple. Brand awareness is what it says on the tin, but you're making an investment that you're not going to get a return from. And that's what you've got to be really comfortable with. You're going to make an investment that you're not going to get a return on. But what you're doing there is putting your brand out so when it is the right time for people they will remember you you will be at the forefront and you know I always advise that you know you do need to make continual investments in your brand and your <coughs> brand awareness that's really uncomfortable for a lot of practices a lot of some practices are also really well known in their area so they decide not to do that but it's definitely what you need to think about is within your marketing budget what are you going to put into the awareness of your brand that you're not going to expect a return on? And that's what you've got to be comfortable with and got to accept. It's quite difficult to get your head around as a business owner that you're going to invest money and you're not going to get anything back out of it. And it's completely unmeasurable. It's a really difficult thing to get your head around. But uh, if you've got any more questions about that, do, do send them in because it's something... Uh, that you know Michael and I are both very passionate about we're gonna have to move on to the next two questions just aware of time um, so the next one we have a new staff member upsetting the apple cart our start time is 8am <clears throat> everyone to come in at 7.50 to set up she's not happy about this being unpaid okay now I'm sure we've discussed this in previous podcasts uh, to relate back to 
Uh, I'm also guessing this person, I'm just guessing, is a nurse because there's more time required to set up. And I think first and foremost, this question, and actually let me read out the next question. And I think, Mike, let's just tie it all into one because it's all about team members. The, the, the last question is, we pay for courses, should we pay for travel? Okay, so we've got two questions here relating to pay and staff. And most importantly, staff retention. There is a huge problem in the UK with finding and retaining good quality dental nurses. We all know this. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a city centre. It doesn't matter if you're in the back of beyond. Location is no longer an issue. The shortage of dental nurses is actually the problem. And people are jumping ship. The loyalty is much, much less now. Dental nurses can see there are practices that have worked this out. They've worked out that, hang on a minute, we do need to pay really well to keep our good staff. And dental nurses are seeing this in recruitment. They all know each other. Their friends are telling them, well, we get £11.50 an hour as, as a basic, let alone additional qualifications, etc. And people are jumping ship and moving. And the problem in practice is that when one person leaves, everyone else starts to go. You see this all the time. If you're yet to experience this, you will. It's called the cycle of the dental team. I remember writing a blog about that many moons ago. I should dig that out from the archives. So back to the first question. This team member's unhappy about having to work for free for 10 minutes. And I would be too. Because this team member is not self-employed. So whatever time you require your staff to come in to start work, to prepare, you do need to pay for that. And that's the time that's in the contract. So you should be paying from 7.50 a.m. So I know it's a really unfortunate situation that you've had this culture in your practice. And don't get me wrong, that's what it always was for me. And I remember an, an 8 a.m. practice. It was absolutely, everyone had to be there by 7.50, the same to set up. Now, I was never there at 7.50. Reason being, my dentist was 10 minutes late every day as standard. So I'd get, I'd rock up about five too. Um, which again is not fair, is it? But none of us were getting paid. So <clears throat> cultures in practice, cultures are definitely changing, aren't they, Mike? And Mike's just wrote some fantastic blogs about recruiting and retaining staff. We are, as we record, there are two parts out and the third part um, should hopefully be out on the website. It's ready uh, by the time this podcast is live. So it's a, it's a huge problem, isn't it, Mike? Yes, it is a massive problem. And I, and I think it's been developed by some older cultures, really, from, from, you know, I was brought up mainly by my nan and my great uncle. And their generation was that basically you did go to work and you're expected if you like to work before and after work without any pay you know what I mean it was part of the ethos yeah. of yeah. the job um and you get you got paid a set salary for the job and basically you did the job until it was completed and if that meant that you had to stay on a little bit longer to achieve that then that's what you did and I think the other thing that you've said that is very interesting, so I think that, that, that covers a little bit of cultures there, that, you know, there is a difference and it depends of the ages as well that, that 
you know, of the people that yeah. we've all got different cultures going on. And I think the other thing that is really important is this self-employed, employed area, which seems to be getting harder and harder to work in harmony in practices. Yeah. Because self-employed workers and employed workers are entirely different. And I think I say that now um, because I have gone fully self-employed over, you know, the last three years. And then I, you know, the previous three years from that, as you, you well know, Laura, I was self-employed and employed. And yeah. before that, I was employed for many years. So I can see definitely the differences between um, those, those three things. I would probably have said in practice, I did behave a bit like um, self-employed member of staff because you know I you know I took my leadership role very seriously and I would put in the amount of time the business needed yeah you know that that was just what I would do however if I was having a bad day because we all have bad days don't we I didn't punish myself for it because I used to say to myself well do you know what when you need to get yourself out of a hole you'll stay and get yourself out of a hole so it sort of evens itself out really does yeah. that make sense to you? Yeah. But what I think is really important, and self-employed workers, you need to hear this and hear this well. You will do the job as it needs to be. If you need to treatment plan until seven or eight o'clock at night, which we don't advocate, by the way, if that's what you're doing, or you're working on your business, you know, through your lunch hours or whatever it may be, then that is because you're self-employed and actually nobody does the work for you you have to do that work and you know that I mean that's a big conversation itself about you know effectively leaving a team to support you in in different areas of the practice so you don't need to do that being self-employed is a different set of rules and regulations being employed is a very definite set of rules and regulations and the pra what practice need to understand is you have to be paid for every minute that you do and there is expectations expectations are when you start work when you leave work and lunch hour and official breaks yeah and they are mandatory they are not flexible the days of going oh it's okay for me to drift into my lunch and you know Gemma will understand or you know Samantha will understand or what have you actually those days have gone yeah because the nurses are, 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 are much younger than they used to be, yeah, because we've got this, you know, as you say, this retention arc going on, and actually we need to grow more nurses in, in the UK and in Ireland, so they are younger, and younger people don't work if you don't pay them. Yeah. They want their lunch hour. They want their breaks, and you know what? They know their rights a lot more than they used to. Yeah. The other thing I want to say here, HR used to be a, a bit, bit of a cloud, really, for people. And I would say that actually, you know, when I first went into practice 20 years ago, you could have said anything to anybody because, quite frankly, people did not know HR. But you know what? People do now. And the reason for that is the internet. Yeah. People can look up online anything they wish to and they can say yes 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 but they can go home or literally go upstairs into the staff room get their phone out and look at a policy online and go well that's not right is it i'm entitled to that 
I'm entitled to this and I'm entitled to that. So you, the world has changed. That culture has changed. And we need to be very mindful now about what you're doing. And, and the key element that keeps coming up in our podcast a lot around nurses retention and all sorts of retention, things like that, is HR is absolutely critical to every practice. And if you don't know your HR, you are going to be in trouble. And there's lots of practices that are having a bit of a shock because they've, they have had practices for a long time and now are not understanding that they need to really develop their understanding in HR. And it's not about the manager so much, it's actually the owners. Mm. It's the owners that need to understand that they need to be HR savvy as yeah. well. Yeah. And it starts to answer all these questions that come in, doesn't it? You know, what time should I start? What time's my lunch hour? When somebody's got a grievance, things like that. They need to be dealt with. The days of brushing it under the carpet and just hoping it will go away are gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? And that's a, I think that's quite stark, actually, isn't it? That's a, that's a big shift in culture. Absolutely. And I agree with what you say. You know, the younger generations are on it and they are right. And they will stand up for the little things. But most importantly, take that away. These are reasons that the team members will go to another practice. They will leave yes. you. And, yeah. and it might seem like something so tiny to you and as an owner manager you might find it really frustrating but just trust us this is why people leave and we know it if we talk about we pay for courses should we pay for travel now i know michael and i've got different opinions on this slightly my opinion is is an absolute yes but mike for you it is about the cost of the travel isn't it and the locations and the the expense of the travel yes i mean I, I, I wouldn't say that we totally disagree i mean it's oh, a bit no, like blue panel now, isn't it? but um <laughs> not paddling back. but what i think is it's it's about budget and it's about affordability yeah. and the one thing that i find in practices is actually you get a lot of grievances about well if you send somebody on this course and and I go back to, people can look things up online, can't they? Yeah. So if somebody goes to a management course, for an example, and that is a suitable investment, let's say £2,000, for an example, and then you've got a dental nurse that may be, uh, I don't know, let's say doing radiography, the course fee is entirely different for that. And one of them could be miles away and another one could be you know literally up the road and then somebody else in the practice might might be having um just a couple of days out of year maybe attending um a practicum workshop for an example or a salmon workshop or henry jean or something like that with the investment is much lower or actually zero yeah does that make sense yeah and people can look at that now and go well actually my part here, I've, I've had, what, £25? Because I've gone on a, you know, a, a practice and workshop compared to somebody else. So I think it's really important that 
you've got to be really clear about your investment in training and make sure that whatever you do can be matched for every single person not at the same time i get that because we've got to invest in training uh, correctly but actually go right then what what budget do we have and how is it going to be spent fairly and if you do something for one you've got to do it for everybody yeah. That's my thing. Yeah. So if you don't pay for expenses for one person, then everybody has to have their expenses paid for. And depending on what they're doing, will vary, won't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And so I, you've got to make it you've got to make it as transparent and fair as possible. And I think the bit that people go wrong in training as well is that and I'm going to say something I think is quite contentious now, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think ah, we need to be really pitching for courses. People have got to come in and say why they want to go on a course, that they've got the time to actually facilitate the course, got the time to put the work in, they will pass the course, and what are the consequences if they don't? And also, how are they going to use the course in the practice? Yeah. Before anybody goes on a course, those questions need to be answered. Now, Back to cultures, Laura, I would say 20 years ago, what, that's what we had to do for courses. It absolutely was. And as a practice manager, my team would come say, I found this course and it's really good. It's going to benefit the practice by X, Y and Z and me by A, B and C. And then we'd look at it and we'd go, OK, yeah, great. And without a doubt, all the expenses were paid in relation. That would There'd be a budget for hotel rooms. So... That might be £60 a night. If someone wanted to spend more than £60, it's up to them, but they're only getting £60. There'd be £20 yeah. pounds for dinner. Yeah. Spend more than £20, spend more than £20. It's up to them, but there's a budget given for everything. And that's what's important. You can give a budget for train fare. If someone wants to book first class, let them book first class. Let them go over the budget and spend that extra themselves. But what you've really got to appreciate is you've got a lot of fantastic team members who perhaps work part-time, and they have got their own personal budgets at home. And as much as they want to do these courses, they might be saying no to you or they might be doing it begrudgingly because they've then got to go and shell out of their own money, which is not, you know, again, if we go back to self-employed, employed, you know, they can't put that on a tax return. It's not tax deductible for them. That is coming out of their pocket full stop. So you've got to think of that. So to me, it's all about the budget, the total budget for the training that you're going to offer somebody, the courses that you're going to offer someone. Yeah. So it's not a surprise to you to have, you know, a train fare for this or a train fare for that and book it yourselves, you know, as practice managers and owners, book it for your team. So you know exactly what's being spent. That's, you know, again, it all sticks in with the budget. There's not going to be any surprises a month later. Oh, I didn't realise the budget was only £60. My hotel is 74 Well, I definitely can't afford to pay the 14 Book it yourself. It's all done. You're in control of it. But, you know, just go back to, we do have a problem with dental nurses and retaining them and keeping them and even getting them in this country. So do read the blog post. As I say, it's a three-part blog yeah. post. And interestingly, the top reasons, just so that people are aware, to give them a bit of a, a, a taster, really, the top five, interestingly, it might prompt more questions, but definitely read the blogs because we're getting so many questions that now I'm taking my time over the blogs, aren't I? I was only going to do two parts. It's now going to be about five, I think. But, um, you know, number one is salary. Two is lack of career progression in a practice. Yeah is the regulation responsibility and the workload expectation of team members 
Yeah. Four is maintaining the GBC registration. And five is new ownership or change of management. And that doesn't have to be a practice manager. That can actually be a leader role that's being created within the practice as well. Yeah. So those are the five reasons that, you know, nurses are leaving practices. And I'm just going to let that soak like a nice sponge that <laughs> had some sherry pulled over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, lovely. Lovely analogy there. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for for this month's Horton Hangout. As I said, thank you ever so much for sending in your questions. We're back with uh, season three we've got many months of content to deliver to you but please keep sending your questions in so we have something to discuss uh, we do enjoy them and look out for your bonus episodes that are coming out as well uh, in regards to our special guests that we'll be interviewing who will be giving you loads of hints and tips uh, in your businesses and your careers as well so thank you very much for joining us goodbye Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe so you can be notified of our next episode.